podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on Barca Talk, the Wanda in Madrid will host the Copa del Rey final. That wasn't so hard, was it? And you'll be seeing a lot more of the Beko logo on the Barca jerseys in the near future. And if you've ever wondered if there are coolés in Montreal, we have the answer for you today. Barca B won, FCB Femini lost, and the first team are still undefeated in the league after beating Ibar, and now we're looking ahead to Chelsea in the Champions League. All that and more. So let's get this thing going. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kules, welcome to episode 66. Brian, I'm here in Madrid, enjoying the end of my four-day vacation. How are you doing over there in Buffalo? It's uh, it's it's good. It's fine. Uh, the weather has been getting better. Uh, it's still a little bit cold, but we've had less snow, warmer weather, things are melting. And it's so funny how you don't even realize just how it how the weather operates on your mood. I mean, you think that you're handling it and that everything is going fine, but it's just dreary and snowy and cold every day. And then one day the sun comes out or it gets a little bit warmer outside and suddenly you're in a much better mood. And you don't even realize until that moment just how how much the, the bad weather can really get to you. Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, yesterday I was able to go to a friend's house yesterday and go to their terrace and enjoy some brief sun and it was glorious. I had some vermouth with some friends and for you know for flowers and when I came home I was just thinking to myself I'm definitely ready for spring. So I definitely I definitely understand what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. And also it's been a little bit more sunny here lately. I was able to play some football on Friday. Um, we have this great application here where you can play pickup soccer anytime you want. And you just pay three euros and there's these fields all over Madrid. And there's a field about about 10 minutes walking from my apartment. And I was able to play some uh, seven on seven. And it was the first time I had played in a year. And Brian, let me get to you. I scored a goal. Had an assist, and my team won, Yay. so not bad for the old man. You know, I didn't have to jump out the window with this type of performance, you know? Were you, were you on the older side among the people playing? No, it's, it's just a mix, right? So you, you when you sign up, it automatically puts you on Team A or Team B, so you don't know who you're going to be playing with. Uh, you know, Brian, I'm an ageless wonder. I don't really look 40, so people just assume that I'm... 30 years old they don't I'm not I'm, I wasn't the oldest one there but uh no it was a lot of fun and especially in the sun it was it was glorious yeah you know you and I both we're both 40 and we don't exactly look our age and I had I don't know about you but my theory as to why I still don't quite look 40 I mean I definitely look like in my I'm in my 30s at least but whatever but my theory as to why I still look sort of young is not because I have taken care of my body. That is definitely not the case. But what I have not done, at least not yet, is had kids. Yeah. Because kids will just age you, man. Yeah, and also I think, um, you know, I've been dodging a little bit of responsibility for the last 15 years. So that's that's a little bit of my uh, fountain of youth secret. Yeah, I think just this year I'm taking on more responsibility, you know, because last November Megan and I got married. And now I'm thinking much more about the future and about having responsibilities moving forward in life. And I can already feel the gray hairs multiplying and the wrinkles multiplying, you know? Well, speaking of old men, I just have a quick, quick story to tell you about my experience watching the Champions League match 
of Paris against Real Madrid in this bar. Uh, basically, there was a fight that broke out at halftime between a table of retired old men and a young couple. And it was pretty astonishing. Nothing, I mean, no one got hurt or anything. It was just a lot of pushing, but... It was pretty, pretty funny to see these uh, these old men take their Real Madrid game super serious that they wanted to fight for it. Well, what started the fight? What caused it? Well, basically, there was this young couple, and they kept getting up to get beers. And here in Spain, all the bars here are very compact. And when there's a full house for a big game, it's really difficult to get a beer. And, and you're going to have to get up and get people's views of watching the match. But again... In this particular bar, there are three large screen TVs of 60 inches, and this these old men were just complaining about this couple that kept getting up and getting their view, and it, it eventually escalated at halftime where they got in a shoving match and a fight. Uh, eventually, cooler heads prevailed, and you know they just enjoyed the rest of the game, but it was just funny to see how passionate people are for football here in Europe. Yeah, so much that that the guy wants them to get down even though it's halftime and there isn't even a game happening. Exactly. It was halftime. The players were going into the locker room. There was nothing going on. But mind you, Brian, it's 60-inch TV. I mean, <laughs> you know, the players are, you know, about, I don't know, about 12 inches tall on the TV, you know? I mean, you can see them from anywhere <laughs> in the bar. But this old man, uh, and he was not drunk, by the way. He was drink- I think he was high on, on Coke Light or Diet Coke. Because he just kept drinking these Diet Cokes, you know? Just one calorie, you know? Just one calorie, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it was actually that he, he needed a little bit more alcohol to chill out a Possibly, bit. Possibly. But uh, that, was, that was definitely a funny story that happened to me watching the Champions League. Obviously, we're going to talk about in this episode the, the Tuesday night matchup, of course, the Chelsea-Barca uh, matchup. Uh, I'm super excited for that matchup as well. Yeah, you've been waiting for a while. You love your Champions League action. But we're going to get to that a little bit later. Right now, we have a couple of news items that we do want to talk about. The first one being that the uh, Copa del Rey final, the venue, has been officially arrived at and announced. And it is the Wanda in Madrid, home of... Letico Madrid and the newest stadium in Spain. So that's good news. They they figured out the venue. It is good news. And as we as we highlighted in the last episode that I think they're missing a big opportunity by not having a rotation of venues like the Super Bowl. Um, I think they're missing out on some tourism dollars and, and obviously just making some more money. But as we did in our first take of recording the podcast, uh, we discussed that, you know, uh, I think Spanish you know, especially the higher up, the Spanish higher ups just like having the the conversation of where the, the Copa del Rey final is going to be. I think it is in their nature and the culture of just having these discussions. Ultimately, I believe that it was going to always be in Madrid at the Wanda just because it's a neutral site. Both teams can get to it. Um, their fan bases can travel. So I think going forward, it's just going to be more at the Wanda um, just because uh, the Bernabeu, especially Florentino, does not want... Uh, especially Barcelona celebrating a trophy on his ground. Yeah, and you know it's in Madrid, so it's central for just about everyone, and it's roughly equidistant from both you know homes of the the respective teams. Exactly, and you know like I'm gonna try to attend the match depending on the ticket price. Uh, last time they were here in Madrid, I think it was a couple of years ago, or maybe even last year, the tickets were about 100 euros above. So we'll see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely try to attend, especially since it's here in Madrid. But uh, as we were also talking earlier in our, on our first take of our podcast, that Spain... Well, actually, let me interrupt you for just a second. So, so here's what happened for everyone listening. 
uh, we're recording this now today on Sunday, but yesterday, Saturday, we tried to do this and we got most of the way through the recording of the podcast. We had a lot of fun things to say. And then Gabriel's computer just died. It, It just up and died and the recording was lost. So we're, this is take two that we're doing now. So hopefully it should be a little bit more, um, uh, professional. Let's hope. And, and you know, you can, it's okay to like my computer. You know, my my computer has been having problems uh, for the last couple months, but hopefully we'll get through this podcast uh, without any issues. But as we were talking, uh, Spain doesn't have a national stadium. You know, it's one of the countries that doesn't have a national football stadium. And I think eventually the Wanda is going to be that national stadium where the most important World Cup qualification games are going to be played at the Wanda just because it's newer, has a better capacity, especially for journalists, uh, the media. It just has everything that's state-of-the-art and new. So I think going forward, the Wanda is going to hold more uh, elite competitions, especially the Copa del Rey final, and obviously Spain World Cup qualification matches. Yeah. Now for this final, do you uh, do you plan on going since it's in your neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to try to, but it all depends on the ticket price. Uh, like I said, last I think the last time they were here in Madrid, the ticket prices were 120 euros and above, which is a little steep for me. Um, but I'm going I'm to definitely try, especially now. I think it'd be pretty fun for the podcast if I can, you know, take some pictures and do some Facebook Live from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe we could uh, get in touch with the uh, the lead, the Barcelona front office and see if we could get a press credential for you. That'd be that'd be cool. I doubt that'll happen, but you know, we'll send an email. Anyway, I think that pretty much does it for for yeah. that discussion. Now, the other news item is this uh, this new sponsorship deal, or it's an extension of an existing sponsorship deal with Beko for another three years. Um, if you've noticed the last year or two, I think, they've had this Beko logo on their sleeve. I didn't. I don't know anything about this company, but apparently uh, they've signed a new three-year deal worth 57 million euros that will put the Beko logo on the front of the practice jersey, on the back of the match jersey, and it'll stay on the sleeve also of the new jerseys uh, starting next season for three years. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is also, not only is it an extension, but it's also a a pay increase as well because I think the previous sponsorship deal was around uh, 11 to 10 million euros, something like this, and so this is a huge increase. Again, um, like we were talking about earlier uh, when we were doing the – not the the notes for the podcast. I thought Becco was a drinking water company, um, but obviously they're a kitchen (laughs) appliance – a uh, company founded in Turkey. And so to launch this, not only this extension, they did a promotion with the kitchen appliance, healthy eating, and some of the Barca players for a promotional ad, which was pretty cool. And again, this is, you know, world football today where we need to have a significant amount of money through a shirt sponsorship because just alone in this deal, this pays for a Paulinho. You know, this pays for a player, a high-priced player. And, you know, going forward... Um, the money that we get from these shirt deals just help to bring high talented players. Yeah, and it helps the bottom line. And it, like you've mentioned, it is it's a reality of modern football that these jerseys, you know, they are prime real estate. Not just because of the exposure that they afford to, you know, whatever company on the players, but you know, also in all the jersey sales out there amongst the fans, in you know, in the botigas and all of that sort of stuff. So it's it's great prime real estate for any company, and uh, you know, a, a football club is sort of at this point, if they want to remain competitive in terms of getting players and 
paying the salaries and the transfer fees that the market is demanding at this point, you know, you have to find these revenue sources and those jerseys are a very, a very important one. So I understand the reality of that. And I just want to remind anyone who's thinking that, you know, Barcelona is, you know, has, has just completely sold out, you know, when you go back to when they switched to sort of Qatar Airways uh, in, in place of UNICEF, or, you know, more recently, they switched to Rakuten as their uh, jersey, front of the jersey sponsor. Yes, that is a, a kind of, it's a, it's a thing, as we've said, it's one of those things that has to happen in order for the club to get the things that it wants. But do not forget that the club is still deeply and heavily involved with UNICEF and other organizations, foundations that do charity work. They have their own foundation that is still doing a lot of, you know, communal things that still make Barcelona more than a club. I think that's important to, you know, point out and remind people of. Yeah, definitely. And again, this is just, you know, it's really great business on Beko because, for example, you know, when you watch the highlights of Barcelona, there are so many millions of views of these highlights. It's, you know, it's just subliminal advertising, basically, because especially if you live here in Europe and you're interested in buying a kitchen appliance, you're just automatically going to think, oh, Beko, you know, just that's just how it goes. So for Beko, it's an obviously uh, a really gr- a smart investment. Do you have a Beko washer right now? I do not. I have a, I have a, <laughs> what do I have? I don't even remember. An InDesign, something like this, some, some different. Right, but the next time that you have to go and get a washer, you're going to be looking for Maybe. a Becco. I, I did I, when I was watching the commercial of the Barca players cooking. They did have some snazzy uh, oven ranges that were pretty pretty sleek. Oh, cool! All right, that's that does it for the news. Now today we have, I think, what is probably one of our best and most interesting community segments on the show. So we have a couple of items that we want to talk about, and then we also have a uh, pre-recorded interview that I did with Michael Miller, the president of the Montreal Peña. But a couple of items before we get to that. First thing, calling all Phoenicians. One of our listeners, Carlos, he's in Phoenix, and he's new to the area. He's looking for a Peña, official, unofficial, whatever. Just any group of people who are already out there, kind of established, getting together to watch games. Uh, So if any of you guys out there listening are in Phoenix and you have a group who gets together to watch games in or around Phoenix, uh, let us know where you guys meet or how to get in touch with you, anything like that, and we will pass it on to Carlos so that he can join up with you guys. Now, Gabriel, you lived in Phoenix for a while. Are you familiar with any groups or anything uh, in that area already? Um, Yeah, actually, today I was just doing a light research, and I found a Peña in Phoenix. So that's Peña FC Barcelona PHX, and they meet in Glendale, which is a little bit outside of uh, Phoenix. But um, they look like they have some contingent there to watch the Barcelona matches, so you can definitely reach them on Facebook. But again, if if Glendale's a bit too far for you, usually what I did was I would go watch the matches at pubs. There's a bunch of pubs all over Phoenix, Scottsdale, and Tempe that show uh, football matches, especially since they are on Saturday or Sunday during the morning, especially now there's not too many sports that they are in competition with. Uh, so that's those are some options for you. Yeah, so there's there's probably plenty of uh, plenty of groundswell out there to tap that Carlos can tap into. And yeah, like you were saying, Glenn, you were telling me Glendale is what about about forty minutes from downtown Phoenix. Yeah, it's about thirty minutes or so. So I used to live in Tempe, and when I used to have to go for the Arizona Cardinal football games uh, out in Glendale, it would take me between forty five minutes and an hour to get from Tempe to Glendale. So, but again, I think it's worth it to go 
to Glendale to watch these matches with other Kules. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I was just telling you uh, before we were recording, actually, how I used to take public transit in San Francisco from my place in San Francisco to another spot in San Francisco to watch the games with the SF Pena. And it took me about an hour on public transit and I, I did it without any problem. But you know, then again, that was just sort of that's living the life in that city is when you're taking public transit everywhere, you have to a lot an hour to get anywhere. So, but it's not that big of a sacrifice to go and join up with some fellow fans and watch a game. Exactly. And I think, you know, like we, we've mentioned before in previous episodes, I think it's a great opportunity to meet new people and also just watch the matches and have the same rooting interest. And again, you know, hopefully some of those people will want to join us in Barcelona for our Barca fan trip. Yeah, and we'll talk about that some more after the interview. But uh, we do have one other little bit of news from another Carlos. This one uh, is in Houston, and he's uh, he's in the Houston Pena, he's affiliated with them. And I woke up Saturday morning to this really beautiful message from him. It said, hey, guys, it's about 4 a.m. here in Houston, Texas. I was supposed to go with the Pena here to watch the game. However, something amazing happened. Barca has a new supporter, my daughter, Ariani. I hope she can make the show. And he sent us this a beautiful picture of his new baby, Ariani. And I'm not a doctor, but she looks healthy and happy, and she's so beautiful. So congratulations to Carlos and his partner, uh, the mother of the child. I, I imagine that congratulations are in order for her, maybe even more. But anyway, congratulations to both of you, and welcome to the world, Ariani, and welcome another Kule. Yeah, welcome uh, a new Kule from Houston. Congratulations to Carlos and his partner. I'm sure that he will uh, spoil her rotten with obviously some FC Barcelona gear. Yeah, we got to get an FC Barcelona onesie for Ariani immediately, if not sooner. Now, our guest this week, uh, he, again, he's Michael Miller, the president of the Montreal Pena. And uh, I talked to him a week or two ago about his story and the Montreal Pena, which just recently got their official status back after having lost it some years ago. And we had a very nice talk. So here it is. All right, my guest today is Michael Miller of the Montreal Pena. Uh, thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You know, um, the first thing that we like to talk about, because uh, this is sort of a new thing for us. Uh, you're one of our, I think you're only the second interview we've we've done in this uh, way and our second Pena person interview. Uh, so one thing that we like to ask about is, for me, you know, my origin as a Barcelona fan is there's a story there. You know, it's because I'm American. It's it's kind of a complicated story since I'm not I'm not Catalan. I'm not Spanish, though I do have Spanish ancestry. And that's part of my complicated story. And you're from yeah. Montreal originally, but you've been a Barca fan as long as you can remember, if I uh, if I recall our pre-interview conversation correctly. So how did that happen? How did how is it that you from Montreal are a Barcelona fan? Well, it is a it is a long story indeed. I, I am from Montreal. I was born in Canada, uh, but my family is from uh, Morocco. And uh, ever since I was a little kid, we would uh, spend our uh, summer vacations in Morocco. And uh, both my parents and both sides of the family have been supporting Barca for generations and generations. So I can say that I was born into it. And whenever I would come home from Morocco, my love for Barca wouldn't just stay there. I would bring it home with me and uh, I would 
watch back in those days you couldn't catch La Liga or the Copa del Rey on television but the Champions League was available on our uh, local uh, broadcaster so I was able to watch Champions League games with a lot of my friends and uh, it started like that. That's a really cool story because it, it spans continents and of course we, we know about the the Spanish history in Morocco and how there's there's actually a lot of uh, Spanish a lot of love for Spanish football in Morocco, right? Yes, exactly. And uh, La Liga clubs are uh, are more supported than clubs from the local league over there, and by far, I would say people are very passionate about their clubs. And uh, Barca has a very very strong fan base in Morocco. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't I'm not familiar with the local clubs in Morocco and what the league domestically in Morocco is like, but uh I I mean, we know that La Liga is probably one of the best leagues in the world, certainly in Europe. So maybe there's just a, a quality gap there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, even here uh, even here in Canada, uh the diehard fans usually follow either uh the English Premier League or La Liga. And uh, both of them have a very, very strong following here. Despite the fact that we're, uh, you know, a hockey country, people who love their their football here uh, will follow La Liga and the English Premier League because, you know, if an argument can be made about La Liga not being the number one league in the world and... uh, I, I would definitely, I would definitely be comfortable saying that the top two leagues in the world are La Liga and the English Premier League. Yeah, I think most most people would agree with that. But what's I want to go back to this hockey thing, right? Because so, what's it like growing up a football fan in a hockey country? I mean, as an American or as a United States citizen, I can mm-hmm. certainly talk about what it's like being a football fan in an American football country or a baseball country, and and how you know, of course, here in the United States. Uh, soccer football is uh, really kind of looked down upon, but <laughs> but what's that like in comparison to the hockey uh, environment in Canada? Well, hockey here is not just the number one sport in Canada. It's until very recently it was the sport in Canada. <laughs> uh, everybody played hockey growing up. E- e- even myself, I played hockey growing up until uh, until college, but. The thing about Canada, especially, you know, a big city like Montreal, is that most people have uh, roots uh, either from their parents or their grandparents from, you know, either Latin America or the Mediterranean or any other country in the world. And basically, outside of Canada and the United States, football, soccer is the number one sport. Uh, so, like, I was talking about myself earlier, being of Moroccan origin, uh, a lot of my friends are either Italian, Spanish, uh, Latin American, and so on. And I think that's what is making uh, soccer strong in Canada. Those kids who were born in Canada in the 1980s, 1990s, and grew up loving both hockey and soccer are now adults. And... These people now have children of their own, and these children are playing soccer. So the, the the growth in the past, you know, 20, 30 years has been tremendous, and I think it comes from that cultural diversity. Yeah, sure. More Europeans or people of close European descent in Canada 
growing up much like you did or you know african in your case but um yeah and do you still play football at all do you have like a, a rec league you play in or anything yeah i do i do i, I play with my friends uh for fun you know eventually i would love it if my if my penya would have its own uh, football team oh that would be great on that. <laughs> yeah but for now i have yeah but for now i have a team with my childhood friends it gives us a chance to hang out because you know life happens and between work and uh and family we have very little time to hang out together so we make it a point to play play soccer together and hang out and stay in shape in the in the process that's great. Well, let's. Uh, you mentioned the Pena and trying to get a club together for your Pena. So let's talk about the Pena. Uh, how, well, when did you uh, start getting involved with leading the Pena? I became president uh, of uh, Club Blaugrana de Montreal in 2016. Uh, but the, the Pena itself has been around since 2007. Okay, and I know we talked before um, about there is a bit of a tumultuous history there that we're not going to get into, but there was a, a loss of status with the Pena, and just recently you got it back. So starting in 2016 when you became president, you and your board of directors, you worked really hard, I guess, to to get that status back. So what was that process like? Exactly. So we got together, me and my my two colleagues, uh, who form our uh, board of directors, and basically in 2016, when we t when we took over, uh, membership was at its lowest. Uh, I, c I could tell you that we were pretty much the only ones showing up every week, the only ones active on social media promoting the club. Uh, so we started from scratch. We built a new base uh, of uh, motivated members who love the club and want to get together basically every every week to watch uh, games with us and it started with that and slowly but surely uh interest grew uh social media presence grew tremendously as well and we even ended up organizing a trip to barcelona last summer to watch two games uh, with our group uh we watched the 2017 gamper oh nice game. <laughs> And we watched uh, the first leg of the Supercopa. Oh, uh, well. Well, at least you were yeah. there. <laughs> not, not the best result, but at least you were there. Oh. And, and that's always exciting to be in the Camp Nou, right? Exactly, exactly. It was a tremendous experience. And, you know, from all that experience, I'm going to remember the memories being with the group and, uh, you know, walking on the field, doing the, 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 the guided tour. And, uh, you know, I can go on. The result is the last thing that, I, the, that I'm going to remember from that trip. <laughs> Aside from the Camp Nou experience and being mm -hmm. able to see two games at the Camp Nou, uh, mm -hmm. what, what else did you do in Barcelona on that trip? Uh, well, on a personal note, uh, I, like to, I like to take in the entire, uh, the entire city, uh, you know, go to museums. I, I went to the to, to cathedrals. Uh, I went to... Park Güell, I went to the Sagrada Familia, uh, Barceloneta Beach, the Gothic uh, Barrio, uh, even Castel del Fez, I, I went there as well. Nice. So, <laughs> you know, I was there for a good 10 days, so I was able to really absorb uh, the local atmosphere over there, talk to people and, uh, you know, enjoy enjoy some of the 
all you can eat tapas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is a, that is one of the big draws. I think is the, all you can eat tapas places. You just count the toothpicks, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, Barcelona is a very fun city. It has, it has something for everyone. You know, if you want to just, uh, take it easy and take in the culture, you could do that. If you want to party, you could do that as well. Uh, so I was really able to, 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 to spend a lot of time over there and really take in, uh, everything that that city has to offer. And I, I could say that I fell in love and I can't wait to go back. Oh, I know. I know. I haven't been since 2013 and I, I, I miss it so badly. I can't wait to get back, but let's bring it back to the Pena. So, uh, tell me more about your, your membership. Like how many members do you have? What's, what are the demographics like what's what's your what's your pena like as of today we are closing in on about a a hundred members we're getting really close to that and uh you know we have people from all walks of life you know full-time students professionals uh retirees even families um and you know we have a good mix of people like me who were born in montreal and people who have only been living in Montreal for a few years or even a few months. Uh, I'm thinking about people who came here to make a living. I'm, th- I'm thinking about people who are uh, who only came here for their full-time studies and are not sure if they're going to stay here or not. So it's it's a good balance of people. And we have a lot of, you know, Mediterraneans, North Africans, uh, Europeans, uh, Latin Americans, as well as any other uh, Canadian coolie who would like to, <laughs> to, to, to join our group and watch games with us locally in Montreal. We're very open, and uh, the one thing that we all have in common is that we love our club and we believe that FC Barcelona is the best club in the world. Yeah, well, we agree. We agree on so many things then, because because <laughs> we we feel the same exact way. Do you ever have uh, between any of the members? Are there ever you know little arguments over players or calls that referees made or missed or anything? Are there any any scuffles ever? Um, we we always side with our team, obviously, but we tend to have very uh, sophisticated conversations about about the eleven that we would like to see. Uh, that's the one thing that we can argue about, but it makes for very, very uh, fun conversations to have together. Uh, you know, I, I can give an example. Um, during El Clasico in December, during the first half, we weren't sure what Valverde was thinking. <laughs> and like a lot of us, myself included, thought that he was going for the draw. Right, yeah. And, you know, we thought that, you know what, we're that far ahead of them. So maybe he's thinking about going for the draw. And half of the table was arguing that, uh, you know, the players were just letting the opposition play. And sooner or later, they'll they'll open up the score. And uh, surely that's exactly what happened. And we ended up winning quite convincingly. So we'll have these types of conversations about tactics, really. Those are the the, the the debates that we that we have together. Yeah, well, this season in particular is a very good one where sort of uh, 
debating about the finer points of the lineup is about as contentious as it can get because they've been performing so well and you know when whenever a new manager shows up you don't know exactly how it's going to go and so when Valverde first appeared or when he first signed uh you know of course we didn't know what would happen we knew that he had a decent record with Athletic Bilbao and he was a good and experienced manager but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate over to Barcelona right Mm -hmm. and so we've all been very very happy of course with the results and so all we can really argue about is the finer points of the lineup and when that's the case you know when Barcelona is so many points ahead in the table they're doing you know they're into the cup final now you know it's it's a great position to be in where the the biggest thing that you can quibble about is the lineups exactly and that's what it should be about it should always be about the football itself yeah, uh, and we're we're fortunate enough this season anyway to have a deep deep squad, uh, so the possibilities are endless. I'm pretty sure that if you or, or or myself would survey the people around us to come up with their ideal eleven, everybody would uh, would come up with a different uh, with a different eleven. We the possibilities are endless. We we're, we don't have to stick to 4-3-3 anymore. No. We don't have to stick to the MSN anymore. Uh, depending on who our opponent is, we can come up with a different uh, with a different squad any given day. And that's the difference between uh, a good team and a great team. And that is why this season, uh, knock on wood, I think that we could go as far as we want. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, so far, uh, all signs point to yes. But um, so let me bring it back again to the Pena and where, yeah. like, where you watch games. Do you always watch games at the same place and gather at the same place? And let's let's go ahead. If you do, let's go ahead and plug it. What is the name of the place? <laughs> so yes, we do watch uh, our games uh, at the same place. We've been watching our games at the same place uh, since uh, since last season. Called uh, McLean's Pub, and it's on Twelfth and uh, Peel Street. And uh, I will say that since we announced that we got our official status back in January, we've been having more and more and more people show up every every week. It's been it's been amazing, and that's the one thing that I like about having an official Pena. No matter where people come from, even if it's people who are just visiting the city, they know where they can go to watch a, a Barca game, and. Apart from local members, we've had visitors come come in to watch games with us from everywhere in the world, from the U.S., from Denmark, from Morocco, from Mexico, and so on. And it's just amazing to to, to see that the Barca family, uh, Club La Grande Montreal, are all connected. And it's not just a local story, but it's an international story. And no matter what language we speak, no matter what we do outside of uh, of the pub, when we come together, we all wear the same colors and we all cheer the same team. Yeah, absolutely. So that's McLean's Pub on 12th and was it Peel? Peel, exactly. Okay, in Montreal. So for anyone listening to this, if you're ever just passing through Montreal and you need to watch a Barcelona game, you know where to go. The Montreal Peña will be happy to have you. So now, does the Pena, do you have any other projects or activities outside of gathering for games? Like, do you do any charitable stuff as a group at this point, or do you have any plans to? 
We definitely have plans to. Um, we're talking about it amongst ourselves right now. Of course, it's something that is done everywhere else in the world. So we'd like to we'd like to pitch in and and, and do something as well. But there hasn't been anything announced yet. So all I can say for now is stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, outside of uh, watching games together, we're obviously planning our next trip to Barcelona. We would like for it to be at some point uh, in, in the summer, maybe late August, early September, so we could do La Liga and the Champions League. And uh, it's not something that we are going to do alone. I, I, I understand that a lot of other Peñas around the world would be interested in joining us here in North America or even in Europe, in Morocco. So uh, our next trip might be uh, a lot bigger than the, the than the one we had last season. Otherwise, like I said before, we would really like to have our own football team so that we could gather together and just, just have fun and, and play some soccer together. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. I think those are two good projects, and I like that you have you know other things on the brain as well. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, fantastic. Now, speaking of getting the word out and uh, bringing more people together, I know that, of, of course, you have um, a Facebook page for the Pena, and then you also – do you also do Twitter? Is that another channel that people can use to stay tuned with you? Or For the Pena, uh, as of right now, we only have the Facebook, uh, the Facebook page, the Facebook group. As far as Twitter and the other platforms are concerned, it's not something that we're doing for now, but – who knows what's going to happen in the future. Right. Okay, good. So, but you're on Facebook and that's, you know, that's a great way to for people to stay tuned. But also, um whenever you have something you want to announce, uh send us send us something and we'll, you know, we'll put it on the show for sure. You also administrate a page called Daily Barca, correct? Exactly. And uh Daily Barca is the uh, a platform that brings together uh Kool-Aid from all around the world. Uh, as of right now, as we speak, we're about forty thousand members, and it's a project that we're uh, that we uh, that we build together uh, the, with uh, people from the Peñas of uh, Kenitra and Marrakesh in Morocco. Nice. Together with the the Peña of Montreal, and uh, basically what we do on that page is that we talk about current. Barca affairs, like, you know, games, transfers, injuries, and so on. But we also do uh, cool stuff like publishing pictures of uh, of, lo- of all the local Peñas around the world, just, you know, watching games together. I know that a lot of uh, Peñas in, in America, in Europe, in Morocco, and elsewhere around the world are very active. And from time to time, you'll see just uh, a local group in this or that city just watching the game together in their local environment. The other thing that we do on that page, that's actually something that I really enjoy doing myself. Uh, I'll write an article about uh, a historical moment in Barca history or, you know, legends of uh, of our club. And uh, I've been doing this since the very beginning of Delhi Barca. I can talk about legends such as Joan Gemper, Laszlo Kubala, Polino Alcantara, names that really have made Barca history way before Cruyff, way before Stoichkov, way before Ronaldinho, way before Messi, but in my opinion that are also important and that people who are fairly new supporters should know about. So I would say that Daily Barca is there to inform, to entertain, and 
and basically to to, to connect uh, to connect people all over the world together. Oh, that's really that is really cool, and I I also I especially like the the transcontinental aspect of it and the multilingual <laughs> aspect of it. But so, in addition to Daily Barca, are there any other sites or media, social or otherwise, that you that you like for Barcelona related stuff? Personally, uh, I I spend so much time promoting and and publishing on my own pages, which are FC Barcelona Montreal. Peña Oficial uh, and and uh, Daily Barca that I that I don't really follow other pages, but I follow the official FC Barcelona page for sure on Facebook and uh, their their Twitter page as well is is kind of cool. They they they, they uh, publish a lot of nice pictures and uh, fun facts. But aside from that, uh, I have my own sources that I use uh, that I <laughs> that I won't. You, yeah, you're not going to divulge your sources. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. But I have my own sources. I I follow a lot of the mainstream media. Uh, I have a lot of uh, journalists that I really like, uh, be it in, in America, in, in England, in Spain, in France. And, uh, you know, when you gather all the information that you, that you can collect from all these uh, journalists together and you factor in their credibility as well, a lot of the information out there can be can be caught before the club even publishes it. I'm pretty sure that you go through the same process as well while preparing your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Because actually, the club is a little bit slow sometimes with releasing news. But <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes the transfer is so close to being official, and then something happens at the last minute, and it doesn't quite happen. Um, for example, what happened with uh, Philippe Coutinho in, uh, in in August was heartbreaking for a lot of us. And obviously, they made it happen finally. But the <laughs> day after the transfer deadline, it was almost like it was almost like losing a uh, a cup final. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was at that level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad he's here though. He's a, he's amazing, and he's. He looks like he was born to play for us, and I, I, I can't wait to see what he, what he, what he's going to do next. But you can understand that the club will be careful when it comes to releasing news, and sometimes by the time they, they, they announce something, everybody from the from the most from the most active person on social media to the least active person on social media, everybody knows before the club announces it. Right, right. But that's the that, that's the way it is. That's that's how the game works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show today. And I just want to tell everyone listening: you can find the Montreal Pena on Facebook. And if you're in Montreal and you need to watch a game on game day, you can just find them at McLean's Pub on Twelfth Street and Peel on any game day. Michael, again, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Brian. Merci à tous les membres du club Blaugrana de Montréal qui ont écouté le podcast aujourd'hui. Visca Barça. Visca Barça. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that was a really fun interview. I really enjoyed that, and uh, it's just nice to get to know other other fans and other you know Pena people all over the country and the world. And we actually have another interview that's that's in the hopper, don't we, Gabriel? That you're you're handling this one. Yeah, I'm going to be interviewing Victor, who's in charge of the Houston Pena. I'm going to be talking with him later today, and that interview will be uh, published, I think, in two weeks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll take a week off from the interview next episode, and then after that, we'll be back with Victor uh, in two weeks. And I assume that uh, Victor knows Carlos, so uh, I hope I hope Victor has been. Uh, has been able to give Carlos congratulations for the birth of his new daughter also. Now, you know, going back to that interview that we we were just uh, listening to with Michael, you know, with everything Michael and I were talking about in terms of the trip he took with his Peña to Barcelona, it seems like a good time for us to talk about our own trip to Barcelona that we're planning. So this fan tour that we've set up with the help and organization of XL Sports Tours is for the weekend of April 15th for the match with Valencia. And if you haven't already signed up for that, here are the details. You have to get to Barcelona on your own on the 13th of April, but after that, the package includes four nights in a four-star hotel in central Barcelona, the Camp Nou experience, tickets to watch the Valencia match with Gabriel and the Barca Talk contingent. You, if you want, you can attend a live recording of Barca Talk hosted by Gabriel. We hope you go to that. And you'll still have plenty of your own free time to explore Barcelona and the whole package is uh, it's $1 less than 2000 So it's nineteen ninety nine. And, you know, Michael was talking about all the other things that he did when he went on his trip with the Pena. He went for, he extended his trip to 10 days, and you could do so if you also want, but our, our tour is just the four days. But so what else do you plan on doing during this trip? Where else do you plan on going? Well, for me, you know, I've been to Barcelona, I've been lucky enough to go to Barcelona quite a few times, and I lived there for about three months as well for one summer. I like to definitely check out the Park Guell, and I think it's a really unique park. Um, it's it's you know it was conceived with Gaudi, and obviously Barcelona has Gaudi's uh, fingerprints all over the city. It's it's really cool to see the unique architecture around the city. But again, Park Guell is this uh, city park. It's high up uh, on Barcelona and has spectacular views of the city. I really enjoy going over there especially um, having lunch, you know, bringing my own lunch and just kind of just checking out the city from that point of view. So that's definitely one of my favorite spots to go check out. And, uh, you know, when we do this fan tour, we'll definitely uh, have time to go check out Park Guell. Oh, that's fantastic. Park Guell is, again, I'm a huge Gaudi uh, fanatic. You know, Michael was talking about how he was, you know, he went to Park Guell. He went to La Sagrada Familia. He even went to uh, Castafeldels, which is like another it's one of the earlier things that Gaudí worked on, and it's not as central to Barcelona, so I, I don't think it gets as much tourism as Park Güell or Sagrada Familia, or even the houses that he did, you know, uh, Casa Balló, Casa uh, Milo, that sort of thing. Uh, but but Park Güell is so beautiful. You get such a great view of the city from there, and just all the details that are in there. Of course, I think the famous image is that uh, that lizard, the the dragon. It's the dragon, actually, uh, with that trincadis style mosaic covering its skin at the entrance. But the the entrance way with the the dragon and the I mean the, the the stonework on these columns where the columns are sort of twisting and they're made up of all these individual smaller stones. Uh, it's just it's so it's such an exquisite place. It's it's easily one of my favorite places on earth. So to sign up for this trip and a chance to see the Valencia match and go see these beautiful sights and hear the sounds of Barcelona, 
Go to BarsaTalk.net, click on the link for the tour, you cannot miss it, and enter the code BT18. And there are payment options. You don't have to make the entire $2,000 payment up front. You can split it up into $500 installments month to month. Now, also, we want to say thanks to all of those folks out there who have donated money to the show. We are still growing, and we're in the process of courting sponsors with the goal of getting rid of this call for support right here. But until then... Here's just a quick appeal. If you like the show and you want to donate a little cash to support it, just go to barsatalk.net, click on the support tab. Right now, you can only do it if you have a PayPal account, so you will need to use PayPal for that uh, transaction. Uh, And we really do appreciate it. The donations that we've received so far have already helped us make the new website. It's a couple weeks old now, but that's, that's still pretty new. And it looks really good. And it's also allowed us to do some other things to improve the the show itself and the promotion of the show. So on the website, you can find all the old episodes there. You can get in touch with us, sign up for the newsletter, and show your support with a cash donation. So that's it. That's all I have to say on that. On with the show. Now, as we do every week, we check in with Barca B and FCB Femini. So to start off with Barca B, awful news. Uh, Oriol Busquets, the 19-year-old midfielder, suffered an injury to the meniscus in his left knee during routine training last Wednesday. He's already gone in for surgery, and the early signs are that it went well. They went with reconstructive surgery. I guess the other option was to just remove the damage zone, and the reconstructive option is it's better in the long run, but the recovery time is a lot longer. So he's out for the rest of the season, and uh, we're looking to see him back in action, hopefully in optimal condition for the start of next year's season. It's He's looking at about a five-month recovery. Yeah, it's bad news for Oriol, but uh, I think he made the right decision going with uh, Operation B, you know, going with the longer-term uh, reconstructive surgery, I think, because, you know, he's 19 years old. And he has some time, and you want to have this process done correctly so that he doesn't continue to have meniscus issues going forward. Unfortunately, you know, this is going to take a long time. The meniscus is one of those things in our body that doesn't grow back. And so you need uh, artificial uh, padding of plastic or this type of thing to be put in to help with the recovery. So we're wishing him a speedy recovery. And I I think it's really great also that the club is going to support him, uh, you know, with with the rehab and the costs and also with his contract. Yeah, the club are completely behind him. Uh, the report I read in sports said that they still want to renew his contract, which will be up in June. And so, you know, he'll still be, you know, hopefully on the tail end of his recovery at that point. But at the moment, they're saying that they still want to renew his contract. And, uh, you know, he's played for all the Barca youth teams. You know, he was on Barcelona youth. He's worked his way up all the ranks. And, you know, we even got a glimpse of him on the first team in the earlier rounds of the Copa del Rey. So he looks like a really talented player, and you know, assuming that this uh, the surgery is successful and the recovery goes well, I think he has a really bright future ahead of him, hopefully in a Barcelona jersey. So we'll, you know, we hope he has a good recovery, and we'll be looking for him next year. Definitely, and we'll see you know, his progress. And obviously I'm sure uh, the Barcelona website is going to uh, show his progress through photos and videos. So again, we wish him a speedy recovery. I wonder if he's as uh, uh, up on the social media as uh, Rafinha was during his recovery. You, you know, just those those weird videos of his basement gym, just him working out all by himself. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, when you are doing rehab, you get bored, you know, because you really can't do that much, right? It's a, it's a long process. It's mentally fatiguing. So who knows? Maybe he'll become a social media guru. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And but and we were talking about this uh, the other day. Uh, you know, right after a surgery, you know, when do they not say that? Yeah, the surgery looks good. Went well. It's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, remember with the first time with Rafinha surgery, it, you know, the, at the beginning of that, they they said that it was you know went with excellent and everything looked great. And obviously, he had the setback. But again, in pro sports, they always you know you're always trying to be optimistic, and hopefully, you know, Busquets will be back sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so. Now, uh, we'll just take a second to talk about the uh, Lugo match. Again, we're recording this prior to the match, so by the time you hear this, the Barca B match with Lugo will have happened, uh, but we currently don't know the result. I'm going to say, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to say that they drew the match 1-1. I think that's a good prediction. I'm going to be a little bit more on the positive side. I'm going to say they're going to win 1-0 and get those points. I just think the way they've been playing overall in the last five games, I think they've been playing much better with much better confidence. And I'm, you know, I think they can pull off a victory and get these three points. I think you're actually more right. You know, I just, I think I wanted to take the the safer approach. But in in any case, by the time anyone is listening to this, uh, the result will be known. So check in on that. And of course, next week, we'll we'll talk about that match. Well, you know, any notable plays, uh, any goals that uh, went down in our favor, at least, we'll <laughs> talk about those. So we'll, we'll pick up on that match next week. But I hope it was a good game and that the lads didn't drop all the points on it. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out the match tonight, uh, especially since, you know, Brian, I have the football package. I can watch all the matches. So I'm going to definitely check it out tonight. And, uh, you know, with one eye on, on the match and the other eye working on some other things. But uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll Facebook Live it maybe uh, later, later on tonight. Very cool. Now, also, the women. Uh, the women lost on Sunday to Athletic 1-0, and Atletico Madrid beat Valencia 1-0. So, right now, Atletico are one point ahead of Barcelona. Of course, that's still a very tight margin, plenty of games to play. And like we say every week, the league will most likely come down to that critical match between those two in March. So that that's that's coming up. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the women lost. Uh, we when we did the first uh, round of recording, we were doing our predictions, and we were skewing high. We were we were saying for well, I was saying four nothing victory. You were saying two nothing. Uh, but again, um, the, the Athletic came to play, and they beat the women. Again, this is this is going to be a tight race. And it's all leading up to that March uh, match against Atletico. I, you know, uh, Atletico is a strong team as well. I mean, I think they're fourth or fifth place in the table. And again, they just brought it to the women, and the women unfortunately lost today. Yeah, but like like we've said, you know, you can't win every match. Now, before we get into reviews and that sort of thing, which is you know kind of the main feature of uh, of our show, we do want to talk about the the upcoming Champions League match. So the first leg of the round of 16 is upon us. Uh, In the Champions League, some of the first round of 16 matches have already happened, but our match is coming up. Barcelona will travel to London to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday. Brian, I am so pumped for this. This is why I love Champions League. You know, these type of uh, top-tier matches against top-tier teams, it's going to be a huge match, especially with our previous history with, with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Obviously, the Iniesta goal heard around the world, uh, the Ronaldinho goal standing you know, standing up, basically. Um, I'm super, super excited. We have so much to talk about with this Chelsea match because you know Chelsea's not playing the greatest football right now. But again, since this is Champions League, anything can happen, as we've seen the last time we played Chelsea with the Fernando Torres 
famous goal when we needed that, those goals they knocked us out so um you know they always are having drama and this season is no different so what's been going on what's the drama at chelsea right now it really revolves around conte their manager and him uh with the players they're not performing this well obviously man city is running away with the epl league this year the team is basically the same from last year and they won the league last year and they're just not performing well. You know, their formation with the 3-4-3 and sometimes a 3-5-2, um, I think they've been allowing a lot of goals. And Conte, during his last press conferences, has basically been calling out the board, just kind of begging to be fired, essentially. <laughs> right. In, in so many words, he's saying, like, you know, maybe this is over. You should just you should just get rid of me, but I don't want to quit. Exactly. I remember in one press press conference, he said, "You have a problem with that? Then you know what to do." And it's, <laughs> it's like, wow, you know. So, you know, these type of comments. I don't know if it's getting lost in translation, but uh, you know, this is what he's he's been doing this, especially the past couple months with Chelsea performance. Now, I watched part of the match of Chelsea Hull on Friday. That it was their FA Cup. And they, they basically strung out their B team, and they won 4 nothing. You know, they, they obviously have a super talented roster, but again, it's just their tactics, and they're just not performing. But you never know, especially in this Champions League uh, round robin, essentially with, these, uh, with the leg there and a the leg back in, in the Camp no, who knows what's going to happen. Right. And, you know, there are some other things. Of course, the Chelsea fans are uh, pretty intense. The, le- the field, I should say, the field at Stamford Bridge is a little bit smaller than at the Camp Nou. And, you know, they're going to be on the road and just the traveling and all of that. And, of course, the, the high-stakes nature of Champions League. Uh, this could be a uh, could be a tough match, actually, for Barcelona, even though they've been having a really good season and Chelsea have been having a, you know, not-as-great season. Again, like you said, it's you never know what could happen in Champions League. But so looking at the squad and the lineup, uh, who are you most worried about on the Chelsea side of things? I mean, there's a couple players. I would say the two main players for me are Eden Hazard and obviously Conte. I think those two working together, obviously Hazard's more attacking and Conte's more the defensive mid. If they have a really good game, they'll definitely give Chelsea an opportunity to get the victory there. Now, when I'm looking at their roster, their roster is stacked, right? And especially playing at Stanford Bridge, as you just mentioned, is a smaller field. And as we saw in the Ibar match, you know, when it's a smaller field, there's just more traffic, right? There's more traffic on the field. There's less space, unlike the camp now, where we can really spread them out. And so, you know, when we play an Ibar or Chelsea, it gives them a puncher's uh, chance in these matches. So those two players for me, especially Hazard, is, you know, an elite player, and he could you know, score two goals or one goal by himself. So those two players are the most worrisome for me. What about you? I would agree absolutely about Hazard. You know, he's he seems to be the danger man for Chelsea uh, more than anything. And uh, going back to the pitch size, uh, the, the whole match gets more compressed in that situation. And what could cause a problem for us on that field is that this team is not quite as adept or not quite as um, technically strong as previous teams we've seen in the past when it comes to operating in tight spaces and in traffic with, you know, keeping the ball really close to the feet. Uh, We're just not as good as previous uh, iterations of Barcelona have been at the moment. So that could be something. Definitely. But I also think, you know, especially with the Ibar match that we played on Saturday, which I think was 
almost a really great lead-in game, you know, to play at Stanford Bridge because it's very similar, you know, conditions weather-wise and field size. Um, but I, I also think this year that we have been doing more than the previous maybe two or three years is that we've been winning ugly, you know, like in the I-bar match. You know, we haven't, you know, right. obviously everyone wants us to play the pep style, you know, that four-three-three possession style. But we're just we just don't have the players and we can't play that way. And to me, you know, having Paulinho there lately, we win ugly. We don't give up goals. We had another clean sheet with the I-bar match. And I think going forward, especially with Chelsea, we can really hang our hat on our defense and winning ugly. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like we're so used to, or Pep got us used to, or he, I don't know, whatever. He he romanced us. He 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 gave us the romance with the kind of beautiful football that he was generating in those years and with all that the fine touches and the possession and all the passing and the incredible ball control and so yeah we got a little bit uh, sucked into that but you know you're right obviously we're having a great season so far we've had only one loss total otherwise undefeated across all the competitions sometimes we're doing it ugly but we're getting the results and you know sometimes given the manager that you have and the squad that you have that's what you need to yeah, do. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, think about all the top-tier teams, Brian. Like, think of Bayern, think of Chelsea, for example. Um, you know, there's every team besides Man City right now. It's really, really difficult to possess the ball like Pep's team did with Xavi Iniesta. It's just really difficult. It's a difficult skill to do. And they were able to do that. And so in that era, we were spoiled to be able to possess the way we did. Now, going forward, I prefer our team now just because we're able to win ugly. And I think, especially at Stamford Bridge, we don't know. I don't know what the weather's going to be like there. But I think that gives us an edge that we can fight with a premier team on their field. And we don't have to be so fragile, right? We, we don't need the perfect conditions to do our tiki-taka. We can go direct with Suarez and Messi. And I think... More than ever, I feel more confident about this match than previous matches at Stamford Bridge. Nice. So, do you want to do a little uh, score prediction? What do you What do you think? I think I think we'll win one nothing. I think it's going to be really scrappy. I don't think if if we have, which I believe we're going to have the same starting lineup we did in Ibar um, with Paulinho in there. I think we're not going to have possession. We're not. I think it's going to be something like. You know, 55%. I think it's going to be very close for each team. I think it's going to be a lot of direct back and forth. But I think since we have Messi and Suarez and our defense has been playing really well, I think we'll be able to get a one nothing or 1-1 type of uh, outcome in the Stamford Bridge. What about you, what do you think? I think about the same thing. And, of course, the really important part of that is getting that away goal because that will be critical because when Chelsea has to come to the Camp Nou, we're going to have, I think, a very sizable advantage. Exactly. I think, you know, always the away goal is the most important, right? And so, um, again, I just I just feel the way we've been playing, the way Val Green has set up our team, I know it's not the prettiest football. I mean, everyone on social media lately has been banging their heads against Val, Val Green's, you know, style and how we can't possess the ball. But you know, our team, this is what we have now, and you can't argue with the results, you know, and I would prefer having the results that we've been doing lately and having a strong defense. And, you know, the example in the Ibar match, they were pounding us for the first 20 minutes. We get our first clean shot and we score a goal. And to me, that's really, I think that sets us up very nicely at Stanford Bridge. Again, winning ugly is important, especially in these Champions League matches. Yeah. Now, would rest be a concern? Because I was thinking how the uh, the starting eleven 
for the Ibar match was absolute top shelf starting eleven, and you know they were playing hard, they were working really hard. Are they gonna? Is Val Green gonna have pretty much the same starting lineup with only two days rest? Against Chelsea. I mean, they had the whole week off, right? So I think they were prepared for this. I think the week off really helped them. And also, I, I also don't think they p- maximized their effort against Ibar. I think I think they were playing between you know seventy to eighty percent. I think they could have played you know a little bit more, you know, used more energy. But I just think you know with the week off, they were mentally prepared for this. Uh, the Ibar match was a difficult match. Again, this is this is what the schedule lines up. You know, they knew about this previous. This is not a surprise. And they're professionals. This is not the first time for Iniesta. This is not the first time for Alba. You know, it's not the, the first time for the team, essentially. So they're prepared for this type of, you know, back-to-back type of action. And I think they're going to be really, really geared up for this match at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, and again, I just want them to get that away goal and uh, just get at least a draw or, you know, of course, preferably a win. But we're super excited for the Champions League, the return of the Champions League and for Barcelona to square off against Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm still debating if I'm going to watch it at home or go to a bar. I'm I don't know. I with these important matches, I like to be alone and just kind of have no interference and I don't want to see an old man fight again. So, I think I may just be watching it at home. Now, let's shift over to La Liga. The one match that we do know the result of was that Valencia beat Malaga 2 to 1 on the road in Malaga, which kept them in third place with 46 points. And we're recording this again on the early side of Sunday, so we don't know the results of the Atletico or Real Madrid matches. As of right now, I am curious about how Atletico will have done against Athletic Bilbao at home in the Wanda. But regardless, they're in second place. The only thing we don't know as we're speaking is whether they're in second place with 52, 53, or 55 points. Yeah, this is going to be a tough matchup for Atletico because Athletic, you know, they play a similar style to Atletico. And when I was reading the newspaper this morning, they were predicting a 1-1 uh, draw, especially with um, just the physicality that Athletic can bring. Um, so I'll be watching the match after we record. I'll have it on my my double screen here. So I'll be curious to see how they end up. Hopefully, obviously, we would like Atletico to lose here so they can stay at the 52-point mark. Yeah, and just keep that margin as big as possible. And as far as Real Madrid are concerned, it would be normal to assume that they would beat Betis. But in this season... Who knows? I mean, Real had to go to Sevilla for this match, and Betis are playing pretty well this season, staying in the top half of the table, and we've seen how they can be a a very tough opponent, especially at home. But either way, regardless of the result, Real is going to stay in fourth place. Again, it's just a question of how many points they they end up with. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, a a good match. I'm going to, again, probably have that on the background. Um, I'm curious to see how Real Madrid play, especially after their victory against PSG. Um, we'll see if that propels them even further up the table in La Liga or if they just still don't care about La Liga and just solely focus on Champions League. So I will be rooting for Betis tonight, always uh, against Real Madrid. Yes, of course. So go Betis. And of course, Barcelona beat Ibar 2 to nothing on the road in Ipurua. And it was, it was a bit of a crazy match. I mean, starting with the lineup, Valgreen, Valgreen took Ibar very seriously he knows that this is a critical time in the season. They have a good margin at the top of the table, but the league is far from one, and the starting 11 for this match was absolutely pulled from the top drawer, and that turned out to be a really crucial decision on Val Green's part because Ibar were giving us a lot of problems from the very first moment. You know, I would I would think that, you know, if you are new to La Liga, you would think that Ibar is a terrible team, and, 
you know, it was a walkover match. But Ibar has proven in the last couple of years that they're a solid team. And playing at this facility is a very difficult prospect because, again, we mentioned the, the field dimensions are very, very small. It's a very tight field. And when that happens, the other team is going to have a, a great opportunity to counter. We're not going to be able to have as much possession just because it's tighter spaces. So when I was gauging the interest of this match, people were really upset about that we barely won this match. But Ibar is a difficult place to play, especially at there. That's why Val Green took the precaution of having a top lineup and also i think you know leading up to the match on tuesday i think it was very uh, a very good idea to use this lineup because it's almost as a, a practice match because it was very similar conditions that could happen in london for the chelsea match right so just to quickly recap the lineup it was it was all the it was the usual suspects right we had terstegen in goal sergio roberto pk umtiti and alba in the back line Midfield, Busquets, Rakitic, Pauli and Iniesta, and then up front, Messi and Suarez. Yeah, it's the, you know this is basically the the same lineup we had in the Clasico. Minus I think Gomes was starting, um, but again, it's the same formation. When we play these tough away matches, Val Green tends to go with this four four two starting formation, and then when we're attacking, it evolves into a four three three style. But again, you know I would maybe say. The only in-doubt uh, one I would have was Paulinho, but I can understand for this type of match when it's rainy and we need to win ugly, as we mentioned before, Paulinho, because he hustles so much, he's the guy for this type of for this type of match. Yeah, he's kind of, he's sort of like the captain of winning ugly. Exactly, he's the captain of winning ugly. I like that. He's, he's the captain of winning ugly because in this type of match, especially you could see on the when we, when I was watching the match the field conditions were not optimal it was rainy you knew that the passing was going to be difficult and we were going to just survive essentially with this match yeah and you know so to start breaking down the first half I mean, right out of the gate, Ibar had two really good flashes in the first two minutes. And at that moment, early on, what were you thinking? I mean, I expected this. I mean, I knew this was going to be a difficult match. I just, I knew that they were going to be coming full throttle from the beginning. I mean, that's what every team does against Barcelona when we play away, right? They try to go for us very quickly to make sure that we know that they mean business, you know? And fortunately, Ibar was not able to connect early, even though they had some really good opportunities. But again, you know, I always kind of give this analogy. It's, it's, it's almost trying to catch a rabbit, right? So if you're trying to catch a rabbit in a telephone booth, it's much easier, right? You have less space for that rabbit to get away. But if you're in a field, it's much more difficult. And in this pitch of Ibar, you know, we didn't have that much spacing. You know, it was very difficult to work our way back from Ter Stegen up to midfield. A lot of times he was doing long balls. And for me, I just knew that Ibar is a good team. And so I knew they were going to come full throttle in the first 20 minutes. Ah, uh, yes. The old chasing the rabbit in a phone booth metaphor. Everyone knows yes. that one. It's the old it's the old Bolivian <laughs> proverb, you know? <laughs> right. Ah, uh, yes. I remember when my grandfather would talk to me about trying to catch a rabbit in a phone booth. But... Uh, Six minutes in, Suarez was in on goal. He probably should have scored, honestly. But Dimitrovic, goalkeeper for Ibar, he had a really great game overall. He came out well, and he forced Suarez to hold things up. And honestly, I wasn't even done writing about this chance when Ibar were already downfield again, threatening a goal. I mean, Ibar's strategy was just to basically kick it long and use the flanks and cross. You know, that's essentially what they were doing. 
and they did it well. You know, they uh, Sergio Roberto and Alba let those balls into those corners, especially the way they were lined up. And, you know, fortunately, again, Ibar doesn't have a supreme striker in the middle that can head the ball or make some good connections. But you're right. The, the keeper for um, Ibar definitely had a good game overall, and especially in the beginning of the match where he was able to hold Suarez on this play. Yeah, and I mean, like you were saying, their their flank play, that strategy, they were just tearing us apart out wide, especially on Sergi's side. I mean, Barcelona were not controlling the possession enough for Sergi to be getting as forward as he was getting in those opening 15 minutes. I really felt like he should have been back defending those flanks a little bit more and stopping the crosses. That was just my reading of the match. And ultimately, he did start to, uh, he did that. He dropped back a little bit. I assume Val Green told him to just drop back a few yards, just whatever, just cut off that outlet out on the floor. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's really important to note that I think, you know, just going forward now, we're not going to have possession like we used to during the Pep era. So that needs to, you know, that notion needs to go out. I mean, obviously, we're always going to try to have more possession, but we're just not going to own the match like we used to. So I knew that, you know, especially Busquets in this match didn't have his best match. You know, he his passing from, uh, you know, winning the ball to going forward was not as accurate as always. And I think that led to a lot of turnovers where Ibar was countering us often and using the flanks. Yeah, true. That's a that, that's a good point. But let's talk about the first goal in the 16th minute. So relatively actually early on, you know, the uh, the kind of turbulence of the opening 15 minutes uh, had had happened and then there was just this this brilliant moment, a flash and Suarez gets the first goal. I mean, this is this is just a great moment because, you know, we were constantly under attack and we basically get this first real opportunity. I mean, we mentioned the the other opportunity between Suarez and and the goalkeeper earlier, but this was the really true first opportunity and we scored and collected i would say this moment if you're an ibar fan is like a stomach punch you know you're controlling the first 20 minutes and then we go you know with our first real opportunity and we go up one nothing and i mean the ball from messi is i mean it's it's magic it's a matrix whatever you want to call it i mean the way he curved the ball around the defense and he saw suarez ahead i mean it was just absolute the pass is what set everything up and then, obviously, Suarez's cool, calm finishing on that where he basically faked like he was going to shoot, went around the keeper, and then had the empty net. So, really, all in all, I mean, it started with Busquets, I believe, with the great pass to Messi, Messi uh, to Suarez, and then we're up one nothing. Well, I think, watching the replay, I think it really started with Suarez. He was actually out wide with the ball, and he put it back, a really great pass, back into the center for Busquets. Then Busquets goes square to Messi. Messi does a short dribble, and then the through ball for Suarez. Suarez was onside. It was the perfect ball, perfect timing, and you know then he got past the keeper for the easy finish. But honestly, that first ball in from Suarez, and then he started his run forward. That was what really. That was actually what uh, catalyzed the yeah, play. Yeah, again, it's just really crisp passing, and it just takes that one moment for us to score. You know. Um, the distance we covered in four passes is remarkable. And again, Suarez, you know, in the last 10 matches is is on fire. I mean, he is playing really well. You know, if we if we compare how he was playing in September and October to how he's playing now, you can just tell he's confident. He looks fast. He looks, um, you know, with his passing, he's much better. And he just looks overall supremely more confident in his positioning now in Val Green's system. Yeah, no, it's visible. It's a visible difference and improvement. And after that first goal, 
Barcelona looked much more in control. They had confidence. They had some swagger. They were running the field more. And, but Ibar still just kept knocking. You know, just a couple minutes later, they had a shot come off the crossbar. And so that was a kind of a, a tense moment. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, too, is, you know, Ibar plays, you know, for me, they remind me of a Premier League team. So, again, I think in all sense, this was a great match to have before the Chelsea match because the way Ibar was playing, attacking those flanks with the long ball, I think really helped us to, that's going to help us prepare for Tuesday's match. And again, like you said, they hit that post on that play. You know, it was a really good back and forth match. I mean, I thought it was very entertaining. Obviously, it was a little bit nerve wracking because, you know, we kept losing the ball. We didn't have possession. But again, this play with Messi and Suarez, we were up one nothing. So that definitely gives you a little bit more confidence going forward in the match. Yeah, and then in the 37th minute, Messi had a shot that went off the post. And it was really good hold-up play from Suarez. Uh, he brought the goalkeeper with him after one of those uh, one of those great two-pass advances. You know, Busquets like a rifle to Messi. Messi out wide with the through ball for Suarez. And then Suarez held it up puts it back in for Messi, and it was a great shot from Messi, but it was just a few inches off. I mean, he's a sniper, right? I mean, you know, he's hit the post 15 times this year, you know? And in this play, he was he was ready to celebrate the goal because from the angle that he shot it, it looked like it was going in. And unfortunately, it pinged out. But man, I mean, that whole play, I mean, I thought it was a goal. You know, I, I looked at it, I saw the way his body language, you know, obviously I'm a body language expert, Looking at the way he was, <laughs> he was leaning towards it. It looked like he was ready to, you know, put his hands up, and then it just pinged off. Uh, but you know, we we had some really great opportunities, and again, it was a back and forth match the whole time through. Yeah, and you know, we managed to you know close out the half up one goal, and there was just one more play, this one pass from Messi that I do want to talk about. Um, it was in the forty second minute, and Alba was caught offside on this play, but the pass from Messi on this play was seriously. To my eyes, the most impossible pass. Not only did he get the ball through the three men who were rushing him, but he also got it through the defender who was marking Alba pretty tight. He was right with him. And I just, I don't know if you remember this play, but I cannot understand how that pass got to Alba's feet. I mean, <clears throat> there's no explanation, really. I mean, it's just, he's he's so talented, such a genius. You know, he's like the Bobby Fischer, right? He just sees these moves ahead and he just calculates and he knows the precision, he knows the speed, and he knows where he wants his players to line up. And again, this pass was amazing. And, you know, unfortunately he was caught offside, but it was by mere inches, you know. It was it was very close. It wasn't as obvious as the ref indicated, but I think that's what makes Messi the goat, right? Yeah, and again, his his vision. The the vision to see those moves ahead and especially that connection that he has with Alba I mean he knows that Alba is always going to be running on that flank and he leads him perfectly he always you know the majority of the time always gives him the perfect pass to his feet or to lead him and that's a really hard skill to do especially you know I just played on Friday and I was playing on this left flank and you know the players were above average you know they, they look like they've played for you know many years and they couldn't lead me properly or give it to my feet, you know? And so when I see Messi, the ability he has to lead the passes correctly and to give it to people's feet, it's 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 so impressive. I mean, just beyond impressive. Yeah, I mean, aside from the goals, I think that might have been my favorite moment of the whole match. But so at halftime, there was just the one goal, but with all the action in that half, there could have easily been four or five. 
and the second half started off pretty much the same way, with Ibor looking even more threatening than Barcelona for the first part, I think. And, you know, Barca were a little bit more cautious in the second half, focusing on holding on to their lead. Uh, you know, of course, they do have in mind that they have another big game coming up in a couple of days. So kind of like you were saying, they weren't maxing out as far as their energy. They could have put more into it, but they're trying to, you know, manage their energy levels for the week ahead with Chelsea. But at the same time, you know, they were never parking the bus. You know, that's just not the Barcelona way. But they also weren't taking too many risks to try to score a second yeah, goal. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And again, they knew, you know, with the match coming up on Tuesday, you know, basically I, I imagine the goals, you know, before the match were to try to get points and no injuries, right? That's That's basically what it was. And it looked like that's the way they were playing in the second half was – just to escape with the points and not get any serious injuries. And, you know, fortunately for us, we were able to get another goal in the second half. But before that happened, I mean, obviously there was some, there was a red card ejection by Oriana. Dude, all hell broke loose. Right? <laughs> the, the, the first notable thing that happened in the second half was in the 66th minute when Oriana punched the ball away on a free kick because he was upset about something and he was already on a yellow so it was a second yellow he gets ejected and now Ibar are down to 10 men and then a few minutes later the manager for Ibar Mendilibar he was ejected because he was giving the fourth uh, he was given the fourth official trouble for not giving a card to Suarez when he kicked the ball away on an offside call I mean it's totally different situations because what happened on the Oriana play was you know they basically gave a free kick to Barcelona Oriana was talking to the ref like uh, he was obviously saying something the ref didn't like and then after he punched the ball away so it was the combination of the two things that got him the second yellow card now with the manager going nuts you know Suarez did kick the ball but also he didn't try to kick it into the goal he was kicking it towards the goalkeeper so that he can start play again and the manager lost his mind down the sideline. He was just doing the gesture of trying to take the card out and so forth. And obviously he got ejected. And so in those you know four minutes or so, especially with Barca going up a man, I definitely had a stronger feeling that we were going to pull off the victory. And, um, you know, again, the man... The manager has to keep his head, you know. You don't want a manager losing his mind like that because he's got to give the tactics on the field. And I think if he would have stayed on the field, I think Ibar would have came closer to scoring an equalizer. Yeah, and even when they were down a man and down a manager, they still made some really threatening plays. But for that period of time, you know, they just – they were they lost it. So I actually have to commend the players who were left on the pitch for managing to get themselves together and still – have a positive game for the remainder. But yeah, right in that period, you know, it was just, it was just, everything broke down. But what's really weird about it for me is that for them, the game was going well for Ibar. They were playing well, even if they were down a goal, and then they just, you know, fell apart. Uh, but again, they managed to, I think, you know, commendably uh, get themselves pretty much back together, play positively for the remainder. They just, they just couldn't yeah, get a goal. Yeah, for those 10 minutes after Oriana got ejected, I mean, they looked the more dangerous team. They definitely looked like they were going to score the equalizer. But again, since our defense was able to hold out and wear them out, it's, you know, it's almost again, like a boxing match, right? It's, this is like the eighth round and they were swinging uppercuts and they just couldn't land anything. And then we eventually took over, especially with Coutinho coming into the match. I think he definitely gave us some more dynamic attacking up front. And especially in the 80th minute with that play with Messi, which was just, I mean, I thought it was going to be a goal. I was, I was jumping out and about to 
tweet golasso, but unfortunately it was not a goal. Yeah, and again, you got to hand it to Dimitrovic because it was this great scoop pass for Messi from Coutinho. Messi with a perfectly good chip shot, a perfectly very good chip shot, but Dimitrovic just got a hand to it to deny the goal. Yeah, I mean, for me, the pass from Coutinho was supreme, right? I mean, it was just a great little through chip that kind of threw off the defense and Messi read it perfectly, you know, and the angle, the way the the camera was, it just looked like it was going in. And I, and I, when I didn't see anyone celebrating, I was like, Oh, it's not a goal. So I would have been a super golasso. And I think, you know, it's definitely a nice luxury to have, you know, that we can just bring Coutinho off the bench. I mean, you know, think about three months, you know, four months ago, we didn't have this type of uh, dynamic player. Now we just bring him in the 75th minute and, it, you know, it's it's almost an upgrade from Iniesta at times. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, but, you know, he's just, he's a little bit younger. He's got more speed, but he does have just as much kind of like control. He has the shots from outside the box. He has the uh, kind of inventiveness of Iniesta. Not in the same way, you know, because they're, stylistically, they're a little bit different. But it, just in terms of degree, you know, Coutinho definitely has the the invention, the imagination to, to do some surprising things, like that scoop pass. Like, who, who would have seen that coming? I mean, it's funny to think about if you're playing against Barcelona back in October, and let's say they do the substitution for Iniesta to Gomes. And if you're a player on Ibar back in October, you're saying, okay, there's definitely a, a, a downgrade in talent. Maybe we have a chance here. And now in this match, it's we have Dembele on the bench. We have... Coutinho on the bench and it's just you know there's no downgrade in talent anymore and that's a little bit depressing if you're an Ibar you're, you're playing 80, ma- 80 minutes the Iniesta goes off and you're like okay maybe we have a chance here and then they bring on Coutinho and you're just it's a little bit deflating yeah now on Coutinho he also had I, I, he started it honestly the the second goal that Alba ultimately scored in the 88th minute because it was this incredible speaking in again about invention and vision also the incredible switch of play from Coutinho out to Vidal and Vidal actually with the first time, you know, one touch first time pass for Messi charging into the box. Also great. And again, Dimitrovic again with the save, but Alba was there to get the second ball into the goal. Yeah. That ball from Coutinho was heavenly, right? It just dropped from the collection. It was everything. Yeah, It just dropped perfectly (laughs) right to Vidal's feet and Vidal made a nice play to center the ball. Vidal, you know, I like when Vidal comes because he, he he uses that right corner. And so now the defense has to think about that area now when he comes in. Because now when he comes in, it's definitely more of a 4-3-3 formation. And again, Alba was in the right place at the right time because guess what, Brian? He hustled. My mom would be, su- <laughs> my mom would be super proud. He hustled down. He was there. Puts a nice uh, touch in the goal in the empty net, essentially. And with that 2 nothing, uh, it was game set Guillermo. Yeah, it was. So again, great hustle, great vision from Coutinho, incredible switch of play, and 2 nothing win in conditions that, uh, aside from the level of talent on the opposing side, very similar to what they're going to be up against on Tuesday in London. Exactly. And again, we won ugly, we got the points, and you know, I just really want to, you know, from social media and comments I've seen on Facebook and our group and so forth, you know, people still have this romantic vision of the way we used to play, and you know, I... I would love if we kept playing that, but it's it's nearly impossible to continue that, especially with the players we have now. I was super impressed the way we were able to get those points, no injuries, win ugly, and now 
we're going to be ready for Stanford Bridge for this huge match on Tuesday. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, before we do man of the match, uh, I just want to say we got a note from Luke through Instagram about this match, the Ibar one. And I should say I totally get what he's saying here. Now, I I love B in sports. I really I really enjoy B in sports and their coverage. I also like their podcast, Football Crazy. Kevin Egan, K. Murray, they're great. And as far as the TV coverage, you know, Ray Hudson and, and Phil Shane are the best in the business. And the commitment to Spanish football on BN is fantastic. That being said, here is Luke's note, and I totally agree with him on this. He says, Dear BN Sports, I would rather watch the game, not your obnoxiously large man-of-the-match graphic blocking my view of the play. Well, is that, do they is like describe this graphic to me because I've never they don't do it on the BN here on the Spanish side. Oh, okay, yeah. So here on the on BN, they'll have these. They are obnoxiously large. They take up the bottom third of the screen, and you know they've got two players for each. Uh, they have the pictures of two players for each side of potential men of the match, and they have little some statistics. But it takes up the bottom third of the screen. So if the play happens to be on the near touchline, you can't see what's going on at all. Yeah, that is super annoying. But, you know, I guess they're just trying to promote that. You know, I, I do definitely love BN Sports' coverage because they don't try to educate people about football. You know, they don't go, oh, they just – they treat it as you know what football is and they, they give you the news and the, and, the, and the notes of La Liga, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and, you know, their other shows are great. It's a great network, but I think uh, in terms of – the commentary and, and this, the people that they have doing the commentary and the reporting are all great. I, I just wonder maybe about the, um, the the graphics department. I mean, this happens in all sports. You know, the video directors, they love these obnoxious graphics package. You know, they love taking up the screen with different, you know, especially, for example, in the NFL on Fox with the robot playing football. I, I can't stand that thing. The thing is super annoying. I, I used to joke with my friends back home. We'd always joke around. It's like, you know what this um, telecast needs? A robot playing football. I think that would really tie. You know, it's like yeah. no one is saying that, you know? And it's something they, they – Well, no, someone is saying well, that, and, I, I, and they're getting it done. It's super annoying. I just That's what I really love about uh, the BBC and ITV and the UK broadcast of La Liga because it's just the nuts and bolts, you know? When they discuss the topics, it's not – who is the loudest gets the point across. They have a very good discussion. And when you watch the match, it just has the score and the time on the top. It doesn't do these obnoxious, you know, man of the match type of graphics to obstruct your view from the match. Yeah. So uh, thanks for pointing that out, Luke. And uh, that is that is our least favorite thing of uh, a network that we otherwise very much like. So, you know, not too bad. Anyway. Let's talk about men of the match. Who was your man of the match for this? So at first I was going to go with Alba, but I have changed my mind. I'm going to go with Suarez on this. Uh, people on Twitter voted for Suarez as well. I think his clinical finish for that first goal was huge, not only for our confidence, but also just to propel us into the match. He had an overall good match. He was only offside a couple of times. And again, he is playing really well and he is scoring these important goals for us and his chemistry obviously with Messi obviously their bromance is you know unlike any other right so not only do they travel it's strong yeah, it's very strong they travel together they live next door to each other their families are always together so not only that but on the field they just they know exactly where they're going to find each other especially on that first goal how Messi found Suarez and Suarez, you know, he is an important player for us. You know, it's funny to think that a couple months ago we were thinking of, you know, having him rest 
because he was declining so much. And now he, he looks like the Suarez of old, and it's great to have him back performing at this level. So what did you think of uh, Suarez's performance today? I thought it was fantastic, and it was absolutely critical to the win Both the, on both goals. He was involved, and the overall attacking, he was playing really well. And like you said, he only got called offside twice, which is totally fine for a guy in his position. In general, you know, he's been dropping back more, staying onside, and helping with the buildup rather than just trying to stretch the defense out and be that target man up front. And I think tactically that's working out better. But you're absolutely right that a few months ago it looked like he was on the decline and we were saying he needs a rest and he did get a little bit of rest in there and that allowed him to sort of regroup um you know get his game back together and now he's just he's firing on all cylinders at this point so i think that's a great choice for man of the match in this in this match and also in this match he wasn't arguing as much either and he just you know he just stuck to his role right he just posted up a couple times he made those great runs he scored the goal and, you know, he had a hand in the second, or actually didn't have a hand in the second goal. But he was all around the pitch, playing really well. So he was my man of the match. And uh, who was your man of the match, other than Messi? I, well, I actually have two. I have to, because I can't exactly pick one specifically. I have to go with PK and Umtiti, mainly because, like, you've highlighted the attacking end of things and Suarez's contribution to that. And I want to focus on the defensive end of things, which is actually out of the ordinary. Usually you're more the defense man. But if you look at how how Ibar were attacking us, you know, they were getting a really good share of the possession and they outshot Barcelona. But both of these guys were holding it down, breaking up a lot of plays. Of course, the goals we got were very important. They were critical. But on the other end was just dealing with the the barrage of attack that Ibar was given us the defense was equally critical in this match and even after they went down a man and lost their manager Ibar kept pushing making solid plays in but PK and Umtiti were both there and cool and collected and breaking it up as they needed to yeah it's a good point and I think they both played uh, really well on defense again with the crosses the amount of crosses they encountered they cleared all of them essentially Umtiti again you know how much I love his play and PK you know, with his recent injury, he played really well today, and that's important going forward because we're going to need both of them on their A game at Stamford Bridge. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the next La Liga match. This will be against G- Girona. I always say it wrong. <laughs> Girona. <laughs> Girona. All right. Girona. I here's the here's what it is. Cause like I can pronounce things with a decent Spanish accent. Right, I can pronounce things. What in my mind, it's pronouncing yeah. things correctly. But when you're yeah. an American, there's 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 this vibe like if I say it correctly, I start sounding like I'm pretentious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I got you. You want to be like, it's like the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You don't want to say Girona, and you also don't want to say Girona. You know, you don't. Know I mean? <laughs> right, exactly. So, my, so my Girona. We're going there. They'll be back. Actually, we'll be back in the Camp Nou for this match. They're going to be playing in the Partidazo, the Saturday night match. It's prime time and the perfect time for a match. Yeah, I do love these uh, Saturday night matches. I just think, for me, selfishly, it's a it's a great time because I can go to the bar. It's not too early. I can do things during the day. Um, but, yeah, the, the Saturday nights just have a better feel of more importance. So um, this will be an interesting match. It'll be a good um uh, time for Barcelona to come play at home. I think 
they'll have a good opportunity to put a spanking on Hirona. Yeah, well, because, you know, these mid-table teams, they are sometimes the most threatening because you know they have the quality when they need it to compete, and you know they're going to get up for the match against Barcelona because it's the match against Barcelona. Of course, on the upside, it is a home game. Yeah, and, and also with the amount of time between the Chelsea match and this match, they'll be they'll have a good amount of rest, so they'll be fresh. And I also think maybe we might see some some subs in this match. Maybe we see Dembele play in this match as well. So I think that's going to be a good opportunity for us to you know to to have more uh, Coutinho and Dembele showcase uh, against Hirona. And Gomes. I think Gomes is going to start in this match easy against Brian, Hirona. Easy, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go that far, you know. <laughs> Now, uh, also about Girona, it is a destination good for a day trip when you come to Barcelona in April for the Valencia match on our Barca Talk fan tour. The last time I went to Barcelona, I did a day trip to Girona, and it was beautiful. I could highly recommend it. So one last time, if you want to sign up for that fan tour, go to barcetalk.net, click on the link for the tour, enter the code BT18, and looking ahead just to the next week, let's hope that we get that win out of the match with Hirona. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, I think it'll be a great opportunity for Dembele to, to start and hopefully he can start mounting his confidence and start hopefully we can get his first goal as well. Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barsatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barsatalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.